Well, I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 6. And this is the third in a series that we've been looking at, I've been looking at, on the birth narrative of uh, Luke. And so the first session that I brought to you was Pregnant with the Word. And during that, we looked at how Mary, the process of Mary being pregnant with the Word of God. And we saw that how, in many ways, God also gives us words, prophecies, callings over our lives, that he wants us to carry as if pregnant until it's time for those things to birth. She had a prophecy, a word that was delivered to her from Gabriel, and uh, he gave her such an incredible promise. She said, well, how can this possibly be? And he said, it'll be by the power of the Holy Spirit. When God calls us to do anything, and he puts a promise in our life or calls us to do something for him with, it, with our lives, and he calls everybody to do something with their lives, what he calls us to do, you will not be able to do by your own energy alone. God doesn't call a person or give a promise to a person or tell a person to go and do this mission and then say, you don't need my help with it. So when Mary was called to bring birth to God's son, it was totally impossible for her to do. And she said, well, how can, I do, how can this happen? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible uh, for, uh, for God. And she realized that it was the Holy Spirit was going to do this. But then it said, well, let it be according to your word. I am your handmaiden, your slave. So she also submitted to the word that had been spoken to her. She was ready to follow God and to live out her life and the call that he had called her to do, to be the mother of God's son and to carry that pregnancy. But when God calls you to do something for him or gives you a promise or, or puts you on a mission, it's not just you by yourself. Mary wasn't alone. Because Gabriel said to her, hey, you can go and speak to Elizabeth, your cousin, because God's been doing a great work in her life, a miraculous work in her life too. And God has called her to birth a son, uh, uh, and he'll be Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So she was able to compare what God was doing in her life to what God was doing in Elizabeth's life. And when God calls us and gives us promises and, and t speaks to us about what he wants us to do for the future, although that call is very personal, we can go to other people and say, well, what's God doing in your life? How, God, how is God leading you? Because each one of us is one small jigsaw piece of a larger puzzle that God is making and your jigsaw piece, God's call on your life and my jigsaw piece, that they're not by themselves but when they fit together we see God doing something wonderful in a city or a nation or in a world as each person carries the word of God in their lives, almost pregnant with the word of God, carrying it until it comes uh, to birth. And then in the second part of the series I spoke on um, uh, birthing the word, because although the call on Mary had been given and, and, and the word of God had been conceived by the Holy Spirit, there was a long journey until the word was going to be birthed. Uh, there was nine months, and not only that, but things began to go very quiet after the initial angelic visitation. 
In fact, things seemed to start working against what God was doing. Caesar said that there was going to be a census and every person, would ha every man would have to return to his hometown. And this was very inconvenient for Joseph and Mary to go on a journey uh, from Nazareth all the way up, and it was a steep journey, past Jerusalem to Bethlehem. A long journey in, in the late time of her pregnancy. But today we come to the point where all this prophecy, the words of, of Angel Gabriel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the walking and the journey of carrying uh, God's plan in your life, being pregnant with his word, was coming to a point where there was going to be a birth. And today I'm going to be speaking on celebrating the word, or what happens when God's promises over your life come to pass. Luke 2 and verse 6. While Joseph and Mary were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. And the angels had gone away from them into heaven, and the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he would lay in a manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to, to them about this child. And all who were heard wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. It was the time when Joseph and Mary were there, and Mary finally gave birth. It had been a journey, a, a journey of conception by the power of the Holy Spirit, a journey of pregnancy, and as she had walked through that journey, it had been a difficult journey. And the baby inside her had grown bigger and bigger, and, and uh, Jesus was heavier and heavier to carry. And then they had that long journey from Nazareth, 92 miles all the way to Bethlehem with a big up, uphill journey of 3,500 feet to Bethlehem. They'd got there. And when they got there, the angel Gabriel, who had popped up to say that Mary would give birth to the Son of God, had forgotten to book them in to the Hilton Bethlehem. Uh, and so when they got there, although the angel said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, uh, they got to Bethlehem and nobody even knew they were going. They had nowhere to stay. Isn't it amazing how God can pop up very supernaturally and powerful, give you a word, and then seemingly disappear out of sight? 
and you're following the plan that God revealed to you, the prophecy that was spoken over you, the call of God on your life on this earth, and you know it's God because he spoke it to you, you have the revelation, but he's disappeared. He, he doesn't even intervene when Caesar says that you have to go to Bethlehem. It's like, well, God, can't, can't you get us a, a, a get out of free pass or something so that somehow Caesar could, would say, you all got to go back to your own homes but Joseph because his wife's going to give birth to the Messiah. God didn't act. God was working behind the scenes. Joseph didn't realize it, but God had to position him and Mary away from Nazareth into Bethlehem so that the Old Testament prophecies about Christ being born in Bethlehem could be fulfilled. God was as active behind the scenes when you couldn't see him, hear him, or perceive his work as he was when he sent his angel to burst through with that revelation. Remember that. God is as active when you don't see him at work as he is when he comes in a glorious visitation and angels are all over the place. And so they turned up at Bethlehem and there was, there was nowhere to stay. And so they find, found themselves a, uh, a manger or a shed where they could, they, they could give birth to the child. And then the moment came, as we read, for her to give birth and Jesus was born. I wonder how Mary and Joseph felt at that moment that Jesus was born. I mean, it was the most amazing historical event that had happened on the face of the earth since the first day of creation. Nothing to that point had been so significant, so miraculous, so amazing as the point when in a shed... Mary gave birth to a baby, and that baby was the Word made flesh, fully God, fully human, born of a virgin. What the most incredible thing that had ever happened in history, and guess what? Nobody even knew about it, except Joseph and Mary, the only ones who knew. What did they feel? Did they think to themselves, look where we are? To give birth, surely there would have been a palace somewhere or, or a hospital or, like I said, a Hilton where, where a suite could have been reserved. Not for us. We, I'm a carpenter and this is my wife. But surely God's son, who's come down from heaven to earth and been made flesh, deserves a little better than this. Nobody even knows. Everybody in the hotels are going about their business like nothing's ever happened. Don't they realise Jesus, the Saviour, has been born, and he is the Saviour of the world. Nobody even knows about it. It's fascinating to see how God can work such power in such humble ways. That he can bring to birth such acts of incredible, and in this case, historical and global significance, in such small, unassuming, quiet ways. Nobody knew the significance of what had happened. Sometimes we find in our lives that when we get excited about the call of God on our life, when God sows a word or we say, I know what my destiny is, I know what God has called me to do in a career, or I know the nation that God is sending me to, or I know this, or, or God has given me a promise, and you're carrying that promise. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like, a, like the pregnancy. And then when, when finally you see the beginnings of what God has promised birthed, 
Sometimes it's not sensational at all. Sometimes you think, is this it? Is this the answer? Is this what I've been believing God for? Is this what he spoke over my life? Is, is, is this it? Do you remember Elijah? And uh, uh, God spoke to him, and, and you see this reflected in James chapter 5. And God said, after three years of no water in Israel, God said to Elijah, I'm sending the rain now. And what did Elijah do? Well, if you read the story, he took the word. It was conceived in his spirit. He believed that God was going to do what he'd promised, uh, but he understood that he had to birth that word into the earth. And so when you read the Old Testament section on Elijah, what he does is he crouches in the ancient birthing position, the position that women would go in in order to facilitate the birth of a child. He goes into that position, but he begins to pray. He's birthing something. He prays and he sends his servant out and said, can you see anything in the sky? I'm, I'm praying for the birthing of rain. And the uh, servant comes back and says nothing. So he pushes again. He's like a woman in labor trying to push the child out. In this case, it was the child of God, which would be a, a, a burst of rain on, a, on a, a nation that had had no rain. He did that seven times. And six times, every time he pushed to birth, the uh, servant came back and said nothing. I wonder how many times we'd have pushed before we gave up and said, well, God's not going to fulfill his word, stop praying. But on the seventh time, the, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, Elijah could have said, is that it? Is that the great rainstorm cloud that is going to come and, and wash over Israel after three years of there not being one drop? Is that it? Is that it, God? And, and could have dismissed it. But Elijah understood that sometimes God births small things that will become great. That's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said many times that the kingdom of God is like a seed, the smallest of all uh, living things. And it's planted and it dies and you can't see it working. But in the soil, something's happening. It's germinating. And Jesus said, it's like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's planted, it, and eventually it will grow and become the greatest of all bushes. God often starts small. Jesus was just a small child when he was born. A small, helpless child. Although he was the son of God, the king of the universe, couldn't feed himself, couldn't talk, had to be nursed, had to be swaddled and clothed and kept warm. Uh, he had to be looked after in a cattle shed, it seemed, uh, or, or, or in a stable. Uh, where was all this going? How bizarre. The greatest thing that God had ever done, nobody knows about it, hidden away somewhere. You know, sometimes uh, scholars talk about where was this shed or this place where Jesus was born? And, and often we sort of talk about it and say, ah, oh, it, it must have been a shed outside one of the inns that was free, a garage or something like that. But recently scholars have taken a fresh look at the place where Jesus was born and have linked it to the witnessing of the shepherds that we're going to look at, the witnessing to the shepherds by the angels. And quite a few scholars now believe that actually where Jesus was born was a very special place indeed. 
They believe that these shepherds that we read about, that the angels appeared, are not just normal shepherds, but they were actual special temple shepherds. And what they did is that they, 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 uh, they raised the lambs that would be taken at Passover time, the spring lambs, and Jesus was born in the spring, and they would take those lambs, raise them from the, flo- the temple flocks, and then they would be brought spotless to the temple for temple sacrifices. They know archaeologists that just outside on around Bethlehem, that's where the temple flocks were kept. And they had a special place, a tower, it was called the Tower of the Flock. Uh, Migdal Edar is the word, Migdal Edar. They know about this again, that just there in Bethlehem, there was this special, ceremonially clean stable, if you like, that the temple priests reserved for these particular lambs. And so that what would happen is, when the temple lambs, or the temple ewes, the sheep, were ready to birth, the lambs that were specially for sacrifice in the temple, they would take the ewes heavily pregnant to this ceremonially, ritually cleansed, special, isolated uh, stable, and they would take in the ewes, and there they would be specially tended and cared while they gave, while they gave birth. They would even take the new lambs and swaddle them like Jesus was swaddled so that they wouldn't break their bones or anything in the early days and that they would be formed. Now, we can't guarantee that that these shepherds that we read about are the temple shepherds, but there's a very good probability that they were. And so what that would mean is that when Joseph and Mary came into Bethlehem and there was nowhere to stay, Joseph would have thought to himself, being a child of Bethlehem, there's one place that's clean, that's tidy, and that we can use, and that is the special temple shepherd's birthing stable. Let's go there. They'd know where it was. They'd go into it. It would be clean. It would be stable. And so it's very possible that that was there. Now, that's an interesting thought if it's true. Because it means that Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the world, was very possibly born in the stable or or the shed or the place where the temple lambs were birthed for slaughter in Jerusalem. Meaning that when the shepherds were told that he was lying in a manger, they weren't given any directions, but they instinctively knew where that would be. It would be the special ritual lamb birthing center that they had and so imagine them going these temple shepherds if it was them and probably was into this special stable and there was a not a new lamb lying there but there was a young baby not a lamb but a baby but that baby was in fact a lamb a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth the lamb of God who would die on the cross for the sins of the earth And so, although nobody knew at the time of Jesus' birth the great event that had happened, we do see this remarkable revelation of these angels to these shepherds, whether they're ordinary shepherds or temple shepherds. Uh, Either way, it's an incredible thing that they would appear to them for them to become witnesses to this great event. Why didn't the angels turn up in Caesar's palace in Rome? Why didn't he turn up to Herod's palace or Pilate? Why why did he turn up to a bunch of shepherds? Well, perhaps because they were the temple shepherds and it was fitting. but, But imagine this. And when they turned up to these shepherds, 
and their announcement of what, what had happened, there was an incredible party going on. When God births something a, in a new season in our lives, or when something comes to pass, you know that phrase, it came to pass, is such an amazing phrase. And, and it's so wonderfully used in the old King James Version of the Bible. Again and again in the Old and New Testament, you hear this phrase, and it came to pass. And what it's talking about is that something was spoken, something was prophesied by God. And whether it took days, weeks, months, years, or centuries, there comes a moment when the Bible can say, and it came to pass. God spoke, and when he spoke, there was like a, a conceiving in the spiritual realm. God had spoken, and when God speaks something, his words are living and active. When God prophesies or speaks something, then his words, they go out of his mouth to perform what he's called them to do. God's word's active. God's word, when he speaks, it goes into history and starts working and arranging things so that everything comes to the point at the moment, at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, when that particular word of prophecy comes to pass. That's the power of God's word. And God's got a word over your life. And God's got a word over my life. And God's got a word over nations' lives. And God's got a word. And, and your word over your life, your destiny, your calling. As I've said, my destiny, my calling, her destiny, her calling. When you put them all together, you'll find that the calling of God on a nation or a continent is, is, is there because each one of us is a jigsaw peace puzzle that when we follow God's plan and call on our lives, you put it together, we can have a national or an international picture of what God is doing. And so these angels came to the shepherds and told them it had come to pass. And when they appeared, it was amazing. These are thousands and thousands of angels, not just one, but, but it's almost like heaven was opened. And what was going on in heaven was now visible on earth. This is exactly what happened during this birth. What was invisible, in a sense, because Jesus had been in the womb, hadn't he, for nine months. So yes, you could begin to see uh, Mary showing as she got more and more pregnant, but you couldn't see Jesus. He was hidden in that time during the womb. But now, in that moment, he had been born, he was now visible, if you like, on the earth. It was his birthday. And at that point, heaven opened, and where the shepherds were, the angels appeared, and now there was no distance. Heaven had visited earth, Jesus was born. And now the angels were coming to show the shepherds the type of rejoicing that was going on in the heavenly realm around this. Remember that this world is not just what you see. That there is an invisible world as well as a visible world. 
And in fact, the invisible world that we can't always see with our eyes unless it manifests is more permanent, more powerful than that which you can touch, taste, hear or see with your physical senses. Everything you can see, everything you can touch, everything you can hear, everything you can smell is temporary and one day will be wiped away when God recreates the whole universe. But that which is invisible, that which is internal, these things exist forever. And so out of the eternal realm, the angels appeared. Nobody else was rejoicing on earth at that moment, except perhaps Joseph and Mary. And Mary was probably trying to recover from pushing out Jesus. But nobody else was rejoicing. But in heaven, it was an amazing party. And angels and the glory of God was shining and they were prophesying and they were worshipping and they were multitudes and they were singing and, and where the shepherds were, they saw this incredible rejoicing over a tiny baby in a shed. It's incredible the significance of little things that are in the will of God that are birthed Heaven appreciates straight away what this means, but it takes a while often for people in the earth to catch up. The heavenly host had appeared to the earthly shepherds. A saviour had been born, the word made flesh. Their message was glory in the highest, but now glory in the highest was also going to become peace on earth. When the shepherds heard the news, that it had come to pass that the Saviour was born, they were full of fear, full of awe, full of joy. It was the last thing that they expected to happen to them that evening, that they would be told that after thousands of years of prophecy and preparation, it had come to pass that night in Bethlehem that a child was born that was the saviour of the world. So obviously immediately they wanted to go and, and, and find out uh, about this and they, they travelled to where Jesus was, was being born and, and there they find Mary and the child just like it was told to them and they share what God had witnessed to them. There's something in the power of witness. As I said, God does not work with us as individuals alone. He has a body of Christ. And that's why sometimes in our journey with the Lord, it'll be amazing the people that we will come up against. I mean, not come up against, but we will meet on our journey. Uh, and there will be people that witness to the same things that, that, that we witness. We're believing that God is moving us into a new season. But is it, this isn't just one person or a pastor or a senior leader like Colin having an inkling that God is going to do something special and nobody else has got any sort of inkling of it at all. But, but different people around the world are sensing that God is speaking something that will come to pass. And God is, is connecting these people and they're saying, hey, well, that, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Well, well that's, that's what I'm also hearing. And, and, and different jigsaws of the puzzle of God's moving are coming together. The prophecies are converging to bring to birth something new. And when they told Mary about all these things, it says she treasured them in her heart. 
and that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. You see, now prophecy had been birthed into reality. It was no longer the great prophecies of the Old Testament, the virgin shall conceive and, and give birth, and, and all the prophecies that Matthew often mentions. But now that which had been spoken had actually happened. And so the shepherds weren't just saying, oh, this is what we've heard. They've said, we have seen it. If we carried on reading, the next story that Luke brings is Jesus presented at the temple. And there we have righteous people. We have the prophet Simeon that's, that's there. And also Anna. And the prophet Simeon and Anna, God had said to them, it's going to come to pass that in your lifetime, you will hold the Saviour in your hands. And so they had a word that they were pregnant with. They were believing. They were praying. They were knowing. They were saying, Lord, you've said I won't die until I see the Saviour. And so in the temple, they pressed in. They prayed. They, they carried this word that was pregnant in their spirit back to the Father. Prayed like Elijah prayed. Day in, week in, year in, in the temple, wondering, is this the day when this will come to pass? And there we see when he's presented in the temple, they look and they see, and not only now have they heard that Jesus is coming, but now they've seen it. What happens when the birthing of God's plans finally come in your life? And these can happen in many different ways. It's not just one birthing, but in your life you will find that God gives you seasons. Colin, our senior leader this morning, was speaking about seasons. And in seasons there is a conception, there is a pregnancy, and there is a birth. Whenever God brings you into a new season, there are new things that he's speaking that he wants to bring to pass. There is a new season of carrying those words, believing those words, praying those words. Then there comes a place of birthing those words, which is usually quite a traumatic time. But after birthing those words, when the season has run its course, and when God's plan for that season is now coming to birth, what happens is the baby is born. And what do you do? You celebrate. You reflect everything's changing. The carrying of the pregnancy, the season, the trauma of childbirth is all over. In that moment, the baby is born. And what do you do? Well, you celebrate the birth like the shepherds were celebrating, like Mary and Joseph were celebrating, like the angels were celebrating. Uh, that which has been born, the change has happened, the breakthrough has taken place, the miracle is now no longer just being believed for, but it's appeared. You can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can hear it. You can hold it. It's in the earth realm. It's the cloud that was the size of a man's hand, but now it's pouring rain all over Israel and hardly anybody can move because it's so muddy. It has come to pass. And at that moment, celebration takes place. At that moment, you realize that God is faithful. He promised, and at times it didn't look like it was going to happen, and you went through difficult times, and you went through times of trauma, but now it has come to pass, as he has said it has come to pass, and you have yourself a testimony. As Christians, we're to move from one testimony to another testimony. 
And your testimony is meant to encourage me in my testimony and vice versa. Just like Elizabeth's testimony, because she was further along in her pregnancy with John than Mary was with Jesus. But Mary could talk about her, how God had dealt with her, how God had given her a season of pregnancy, how God had said it will come to pass and it was getting near to that time. And Mary, who had a little further way to go, could be encouraged by that testimony of what was going to happen. Jesus uses this analogy in John chapter 16. Well, he speaks about spiritual birthing. I just want to read that to you. John 16 and verse 20. John 16, 20. Truly, truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore you have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying to the disciples, you're going to go through a birthing process. And that birthing process was going to be very traumatic for them. He was talking about his death and resurrection. The disciples didn't know, but, but very soon uh, Jesus would be betrayed by one of their number. He would be scourged and crucified. Peter would, would, would deny him three times. They would all flee. Jesus would die. It would appear to them that everything was over. It was traumatizing. It was devastating. It was difficult. It was hard. They didn't know what was going on. Jesus likened it to a very difficult childbirth and a very painful experience. But then he said, but, but out of that is going to come something new. <clears throat> it's going to be like a birth. I'm going to be, he's, he's, what's going to happen? He's going to be raised from the dead. What do you think the disciples felt about all the pain and sorrow that they had at Jesus' birth? How, how, how do you think they felt the moment they realized that Jesus was alive? When he appeared to them that first time, and Thomas said, I just can't believe this. He said, touch me, Thomas, touch me. And they realized that Jesus had been raised from the dead. How do you think they felt? Do you, do you think that they experienced? Do you think that they were thinking about the pain and the sorrow and the depression and the grief of just a few days earlier? Do you think they were meditating on, on all of the pain and all that they went through? No, all of that had been gone. I remember with our firstborn child, Jake, I remember, and, uh, and it, we were in the birthing process, and it was taking a long time. That's enough I'll say about that. It was a long night, longer for my wife than me, but it was a long night. And we're getting to that place where it was so exhausting. I was just saying, and, and, I, and I was up there at the, at the top end with my wife, and, and we're saying, push, it's push. And everybody was pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And we got so into pushing, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, bang, on her, on her, on her, on her stomach, was a child doing, doing this like a spider. And we were shocked because it came out of, he came out of nowhere pushing. We got pushing all night long. It was like we're going to push forever. And then suddenly, whoa, what's that? And the baby had been born, and in an instant, the pushing and the travail and the believing and the had turned into shock, awe, amazement, what these shepherds did. 
amazing, it's, it's finally happened, nine months, and, and here is the child, and you can pick up the child, and the child, the first thing Jake did when I held him was hold on to my little finger, and it's like, this is incredible, it's been birthed. God wants us to have similar experiences in seasons of our life. In every season, there is a conceiving process of believing God's word for that season. There is a carrying that word that's been, been conceived through a pregnancy period, if I can put it, where we're praying, we're believing, we're walking, we're responding, we're going on a journey until God gets us to the place, Bethlehem or wherever, where he wants us to be, spiritually or locationally. And then there's a moment of travail where everything seems to be going pear-shaped, where we're confused what's happening. I thought this, I thought the other. And then usually that is followed by a birth that comes suddenly, surprisingly, in a place that we probably don't expect. And, and it might only be us that recognize that there's been a birth. The rest of Bethlehem might be going about their business. And if you took the baby out and said, look, a child has been born, and they would say, yeah, children are being born all the time. I mean, you're saying, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand the process of, that God's been working. You don't understand the words, the prophecy, the pregnancy. You don't understand these things. You can't see it. Many people can't at that moment, but you know it. You know that God has done it. And those close to you, and those that, that God has spoken to, know also that's happened. I close by saying that we're believing God for a new season. Colin has spoken this morning that we're entering into a new season. And so we need to think in terms, the same terms as Mary and Joseph did. The conception or the conceiving that there is a new season for me and for you. Do you believe it? It's, you, you, the first thing we have to say is, do I believe it? Am I expectant? Am I impregnated with this new word of a new season? Or am I dismissing it? Am I like, what's that got to do? I don't want to, I don't, are we not conceiving what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? And sometimes that takes a while just to conceive and to say, yes, there is a new season. I believe it. And then if you believe it, you're going to start carrying it. You're going to stop being pregnant. You're going to start preparing for its birth. You're going to start wondering, when is it going to happen? You're going to start changing things because you know that when a child is born, it's never going to be the same. And that's as, as, a, as an important a process as when the moments begin to come and you begin to see that that which has spoken had come to pass. You not only heard it in Kensington Temple sermons, you not only heard it from this place or that place, but now you've believed it, you've carried it, and now you're seeing it brought to birth and you're experiencing it. Joy comes, amazement comes, changes come, celebrations comes. And then, that's not the end, that's the beginning, because now what God has born into the earth, we, we take the responsibility of carrying through to maturity. Carrying through, and if I had another session on this, and I'm going to close now, that's what I'd talk about. The child's been born, the celebration, the excitement, the experience, but now we're going to have to parent what God has born in our lives. We're going to have to take responsibility over that which God has given us, and we're going to have to carry that to maturity.